Welcome to The Tipping Point. We're coming at you on September 8th, 2018 from Midtown Kingston, New York. The purpose of this podcast is to look for tipping points in today's politics. I'm Guthrie Lord. I'm sitting here with Matt Edge, founder and executive director of Democracy Coffee and the People's Empowerment Project. Uh, Today we're going to talk about the Supreme Court nominee, Brett Kavanaugh, and we're also going to give our listeners a little bit more information about the upcoming Democratic primary, September 13th, next Thursday. Matt, can you tell us a little bit more about Democracy Coffee and the People's Empowerment Project and a little bit more about this podcast? Yeah, I'd love to. So um, the People's Empowerment Project has a twofold mission. We're we're about getting the corrupting influence of of big money out of politics and empowering voices that have been historically underrepresented in our democracy and dealing with the undue influence that corporate donors have on our our representatives, our so-called representatives. And additionally, we focus on the idea of of voting with your dollars, of conscious consumerism, how we can enact change you know, in the 365 days a year in between elections by supporting local businesses, by supporting businesses that are doing good things. And that's something that we can do right away. So that's a great impact thing. So that's our mission, those, those two things. And uh, this podcast, The Tipping Point, is a way for us to just look at what's going on in American politics and focus in on these issues that are tipping points that are going to have enormous consequences. And within those, we look at where the fault lines are of where we can have an impact as, as, as citizens or, or, or uh, I don't like to say citizens, but uh, informed voters, as informed voters, as, as people who live in this country or outside of this country who want to have an impact we're looking at where people, helping people find those tipping points so that when they get involved, they can get involved and have a great impact to have, have the biggest bang for their buck. With that said, would you like to talk a little bit about what's going on with this Supreme Court nominee? If his confirmation seems inevitable, why are, what can listeners do? Why is this a tipping point? Why are we talking about this today? Yeah, so it's not um, a tipping point so much in that it's, it's like a, a, a 50-50 thing as far as whether he's going to be confirmed or not. It's more a tipping point in sort of the trajectory of our democracy for the next couple decades. This is going to be such an impactful, um, the consequences of, of, of this nomination is going to affect everything from campaign finance reform to women's right to choose, to labor rights, to um, the government's relationship to climate change. Um that it's whether this nominee goes through will be a turning point in American politics for decades to come. It's going to affect our children and their children. And so while the odds of stopping them are not particularly high, the consequences are such that this is a tipping point. And so, you know, we can talk a little bit more later in the podcast about within that, where are the tipping points? Um, but yeah, so that's that's why we're talking about it, just because of the you know the great consequences. Of, yeah, if of, if conf- and if confirmed, what what the future would look like in the days and weeks to come, the years, yeah. decades to come. Yeah, we may see irreparable harm, and so we need to yeah pull out all the stops. So, what can listeners do at this point? Uh, I hear there's a couple of Senate races that are uh, that might influence this decision. Yeah, so we've got. Um, the tipping point in this is uh, whether we can stop this nominee is really coming down to 
uh, Susan Collins of Maine and Lisa Murkowski of Alaska. These are two Republican women uh, who are moderate Republicans who are have expressed um, support for Roe v. Wade and have said that they would not want to nominate somebody to the Supreme Court that would want to overturn that longstanding precedent. And so there's been this game the Republicans have been playing to try to prevent the public from getting a clear grasp of the extent to which Brett Kavanaugh is antagonistic to Roe v. Wade. And he's been doing a very good job sort of skirting the questions. Um, the reason that, that it's really coming down to those two senators is because the the Democrats don't have the vote to block this nominee without getting two Republicans to flip. And so they need to not only hold their, their conservative Republicans, or excuse me, conservative Democrats, um, keep them from from voting to confirm and get these two Republican women to to flip. So Susan Collins doesn't have an opponent yet, but people are already raising money to donate towards her opponent's campaign. Yeah. So what's going on here is, you know, it's very hard to pressure um, Lisa Murkowski and, and, and Susan Collins. Um, and so, but what, what's being done is that there's being a fund created to, um, oppose Susan Collins in 2020 when she's up for reelection. And so people are, if, if she were to vote no. Yeah. So basically giving her an ultimatum saying, if you vote to confirm Brett Kavanaugh, all this money that's being pledged in this crowdfunding campaign will be wielded against you. If you vote no... If you vote to not confirm, then all the money that people have pledged will go back to the people who pledged it. So people all get their money back, and she won't have a huge sum of money spent against her. So far, I think they've raised seven hundred over $700,000. Towards her hypothetical opponent. To, toward That will be donated to her opponent. Yeah. They haven't had a primary yet, so we don't know who that person is. And if she votes no, all the money disappears. All the money disappears. And so they're just trying to, you know... Raise. She's she's a politician. She's doing a cost benefit analysis. She wants to keep her seat. Um, the idea is to make it politically painful if she's going to vote yes, that there's going to be consequences. And what's interesting is that you know I start to look a little bit about you know how much would it realistically how much money would we realistically need to have pledged to create a tipping point in her mind to the point where it would just it would be political suicide for her to to confirm this nominee. And I think a useful number is is uh, you know looked at open secrets is the the average amount needed to win a Senate race and that's about 10 million a little more than 10 million dollars. And so I was looking at you know how much is that trying to put some context into big number what does that even mean? Um, that would you know if every if let's just say 3% of the people who voted for Hillary Clinton, if 3% of the people who voted for Hillary Clinton donated $5, that would be, that would get us to that 10 million number. And if Susan Collins saw that there was going to be $10 million spent against her before her opponent started fundraising, if I were in her position, I would start to say, hey, this just isn't worth it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go down that path because it's a huge political liability for her. If it turns out that Brett Kavanaugh is indeed going to to try to undermine Roe v. Wade, and this starts happening in the run-up to her election in 2020, um, she very well may lose her seat. 
Uh, I think it's not going to be a good political climate for, for Republicans in 2020. So, you know, it's unlikely that we can stop this nominee. It's unlikely that we'll be able to flip her, but we have to present that. What would it look like if we did? And if we start to see, you know, a $10 million fund, I think that's the kind of thing that would start to flip her. Another thing, and oh, so if you wanted to donate to that fund or pledge your money, it, you'd go to um, Google uh, Susan Collins Crowd Pack. And it'll come right up. Be one of the first things. Uh, we'll also put it in the description. I mean, it's almost ten percent of the way there towards. Yeah, we've almost raised a million. It's it's definitely doable um, to to get that amount, and that would that would really start to change things. The other thing you can do is um, from the Indivisible website, you can sign up to Phone Bank um, to the voters in Maine and uh, Alaska, and into the um, conservative Democratic states to those voters to get them to put the pressure on their representatives there. And, you know, if if the polls do shift, you know, right now the polls are not conclusive, that it, it's it's not a clear thing, that it's going to help these politicians to, to vote no. But if we can, through a massive public awareness campaign, through phone calls, door knocks, you name it, we can shift public opinion, then these senators will fall in line. So two high impact things that people can do. One, if you have more time, make those calls, go to the Indivisible website. If you don't have as much time, maybe you can give $5. Maybe you can give 50, maybe you can give 500. I mean, a lot is at stake. So I would encourage people to, to look at this as a tipping point in American politics for decades to come. Great. And we'll provide links to both those websites in the show description. Before we move on to talking about the Democratic primary, do you want to take a coffee break and talk a little bit about Democracy Coffee and the reason you started this whole People's Empowerment Project? Yes, yes, I do. So Democracy Coffee is, uh, for those of you who don't know, is the fundraising mechanism that that keeps the People's Empowerment Project afloat. Um, it's our prime fundraising mechanism. It's you know certified fair trade organic coffee from worker-owned cooperatives. And since we're nonprofit, all the proceeds from the coffee support our operations. And so, you know, if you like what you hear on this podcast, you can go to our website and uh, find out if there's democracy coffee being sold near you, or you can order it right on the website. And know that by doing that, if you're drinking coffee anyways, you're going to be supporting a good cause within a good cause. Fair trade organic coffee allows ecological sustainability and you know, uh, better working conditions for those farmers while supporting um, campaign finance reform and democracy and our, our efforts to raise awareness about these critical issues. So, yeah, that's this, this is made possible. We're here talking to you right now because of Drinkers of Democracy Coffee. Um, so, yeah, if you want to keep this alive, keep this going, um, go get yourself some Democracy Coffee. Check out www.democracycoffee.com. And join the Money Out of Politics voting block on the website. Vote with your dollar and buy some delicious organic fair trade coffee today. So yeah, let's jump into this next topic of discussion here. We have a Democratic primary coming up on Thursday, September 13th. Yeah, so we have a couple races I want to dip into. Um, One is the attorney general race. The other is the uh, governor's race. So we're just talking about the Democratic primary. If you're not a registered Democrat, you actually won't be able to vote in that primary, which is an important thing to know. Um, I registered as a Democrat, not because I have a particular affiliation with the Democratic Party, but I do want to be able to vote in that primary. So a lot of times people think, hey, I want to be an independent. I'm going to register as an independent or a non-affiliated. All you're essentially doing there is signing away your right to vote in the primary. So I would just 
you know, you're, if, if you're not registered as a Democrat or even a Republican, um, you're excluded from those primaries. Putting it out there, you may want to think about um, registering in one of those main party primaries, even if you don't particularly want to affiliate with them. Um, it's important to have your voice heard. Um, so with that said, I want to say a couple things about these races. For the attorney general race, you've got a few different candidates. I'm going to talk about the two apparent front runners. You've got Tish James and Zephyr Teachout. Early polling has showed Tish James and with a comfortable lead. Um, but we haven't heard much since then. I think that was over a month ago. Um, but Zephyr Teachout has recently landed an endorsement by the New York Daily News and the New York Times, uh, which has sort of propelled her fundraising. Um, both have solid, uh, you know, anti-corruption uh, credentials. You know, I think those looking to vote for the one with more experience might be leaning towards Tish James because she has, as a former um, public advocate in New York City, she's got more experience in government um, than, than Zephyr, um, who is a, who's a lawyer, a uh, law professor at Fordham University. But as an advocate for, for campaign finance reform and somebody who's really most focused on combating corruption, I do think that Zephyr Teachout is the better choice. And, you know, to be clear, this isn't an endorsement. Um, we don't do that. Um, more just trying to say, for those who are interested in getting campaign finance reform, Zephyr, is, is, is Zephyr Teachout is probably the better, the better candidate. And the reason being, in addition to her literally writing the book on corruption, like she wrote a book called The Book on Corruption, um, she's been an advocate for campaign finance reform for as long as I can remember. That's her thing. She's a she's a anti-corruption activist. Like that's that's what motivates her, and has. And there's no reason to believe that she's not going to get in there and fight for those issues. Now, Tish James, uh, she, too, has been a longtime advocate for public financing. Um, but some recent developments have given me a little bit of pause. Uh, we definitely wouldn't give her a failing grade on this issue, but we probably wouldn't give her an A uh, relative to Zephyr, simply because she's gotten some major support from Andrew Cuomo and the real estate industry uh, has donated heavily to her campaign. The reason that the Andrew Cuomo endorsement and support and financial support gives me pause is that that's going to be an issue for this attorney general. Um, I don't think it's too much of a leap to say that uh, New York state has a huge corruption problem. And we've had uh, the heads of, of both the Republican party and democratic party, um, going to jail within the last few years. Um, there's a major corruption problem. And when when this, this corruption came into the limelight, um, there was a Moreland Commission created to investigate corruption in New York. And they, the more they investigated, the more the trail of, of corruption led to Andrew Cuomo and his inner circle. And what did he do but shut the Moreland Commission down um, in a clear act of self-interest against those looking to, to clean up Albany? Um, and so, you know, 
if he's giving all this support to Tish James, does that mean necessarily that she's going to support, you know, the corrupt agenda of, of Andrew Cuomo? No, I don't think that's necessarily a fair conclusion. However, I would say, given that support, that she would be less likely to bite the hand that feeds her. Um, the, the hands that would have been a huge determining factor in her winning election. Whereas Zephyr Teachout has been on the outside, has been slamming corruption, ran against Cuomo for governor, and and has has never held any punches when it came to corruption. And so there's she, there, she has no interest, whereas... Tish James has an interest to protect Cuomo. Uh, Zephyr Teachout doesn't. Um, and so you might, some might say, well, yeah, but she just doesn't have the, the experience. And I would say, like, I think we really need to rank a hierarchy of interest here. What's most important? Is it most important to have somebody with the most experience that's potentially corrupt or, or corruptible? Or is it some, more important to have somebody that has less experience um, but as you know, an intelligent, competent person, um, and less to lose, and that is less, you know, less to lose. That's less corruptible. And I think that we need to rank trustworthiness higher because if you have somebody who's very experienced, but they're experienced at doing bad things, then that's just going to be more, make them more effective at doing bad things. Um, and so, I, you know, to me, it seems pretty clear cut like if if i'd rather have somebody that's incompetent um than somebody that's competent that's not working for our interests um and with that said i'm not saying zephyr teach out is incompetent i mean she's clearly a brilliant mind um she's a a, a legal theorist she, she she's she's no dummy and there's going to be people behind her people in that office that have been doing this their whole life she'll be able to, to get in there and, and, and I think be effective as, as a strong, trustworthy advocate for anti-corruption interests. So, yeah, I've kind of droned on a little bit longer than I intended to on this. Oh, a lot, lot to think about there. What do you but, think about the governor's race? Yeah, so the governor's race, you actually have some similar dynamics. Um, so we have Andrew Cuomo, who I just launched into sort of a, a, a thing about, um, who is not exactly a friend of campaign finance reform, um, he's cut it from the budget numerous occasions, um, running against Cynthia Nixon. And here again, so you've got you know Andrew Cuomo with tons of experience against Cynthia Nixon, who's an actor. And some of my you know friends, people I respect, are saying like, I think I'm just going to sit this primary out. Um, I can't stand Cuomo because of the corruption stuff, um, but I just can't, especially with you know Donald Trump in the presidency. Um, I don't know if I can deal with another television celebrity. I can't feel good about that, you know. Um, there's something there. I, I feel that. I don't want to just dismiss that. But at the same time, she's going to be going into a place where there's plenty of people who have, you know, that are lifelong civil servants who are working there that she can tap into. She's going to be able to learn what she needs to learn. Her, you know, she's an outsider. So she, but the, I think ultimately what I'm trying to say is, you know, what I said earlier is that she's, she's less, she's less likely to be corrupt. Um, 
because she's not Andrew Cuomo. Um, and that's, I mean, it doesn't, it's a low bar. Um, but she's, she's a political outsider. She's, um, she's an actress and, 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 you know, everyone's kind of saying like, Oh, that's such a bad thing. But a huge part of what these politicians do is they're the, they're the, uh, amount, they're mouthpieces. Um, and having somebody that can go in there and rally up the troops for progressive issues for an anti-corruption agenda in a passionate way that's going to move people, that's what actors do. Um, and so much of these roles is being, is using the bully pulpit. And I think having a strong advocate for the people who can communicate, like a good actress can communicate, I think is really valuable. Um, I, would I prefer that she had a lot of government experience? Yeah, absolutely. But we have to compare her to the other option, which is Andrew Cuomo, who's been hostile to the cause of campaign finance reform, who's been covering up criminal mischief within Albany, um, who just really needs to go. I wouldn't say that Cynthia Nixon has a particularly strong chance of winning. I don't want to, I sort of want to control expectations here. Um, I think there's a really good chance that, that Cuomo will win. So, uh, you know, this is the tipping point where we really want to sort of focus people in where they can have the greatest impact. Uh, you know, if you're really motivated to go volunteer, go do it. Um, but do know that I think it's, it's going to be an uphill battle. I would say this race is probably going to be about 60, 40 Cuomo, um, when all is said and done, but it's, uh, an important race to watch. And I think it's important that Cynthia Nixon's in the race because Cuomo's already been making concessions just by her presence. So the more that support she's getting, the more Cuomo will feel that he has to, to bend to make policy concessions. So, yeah. So I would, I would say your best bet to fight corruption is Zephyr teach out for attorney general and Cynthia Nixon for uh, governor. And yeah. Yeah, so um, double-check your registration status. You can go to voter.org to double-check that and um, look up your local polling place, make sure that's still operational. September 13th, next Thursday, uh, get out and vote. Cool, yeah. And and if you like what you hear, um, check us out online, democracycoffee.org. Uh, get some coffee. Um, find out where the coffee is being sold near you. And help us you know get the word out about campaign finance reform and conscious consumerism and yeah thank you so much for listening uh you can find out more information about all this in the show notes you can also subscribe to this podcast and join the money out of politics voting block on the democracy coffee website is there anything else you want to say to help uh, listeners get involved with the people's empowerment project well, yeah, um, if you know if you want to find out where your, your representatives stand on campaign finance reform, you can sign up to be part of the Money Out of Politics voting block on our website. Uh, again, everything we're doing is brought to you by the Drinkers of Democracy Coffee. So if you drink coffee anyways and you want to make a difference, uh, go to our website. You can order it there or find out where you can get it locally. And, uh, yeah, I just want to say thank you, Guthrie, for helping to make this possible. We're both volunteers here making this happen. Um, if you like what you hear... You can go to the website, donate, and yeah, thanks a lot.